Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. So I just thought it was fitting, Molly, that when I went to bed last night, I had it all in my head. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, like have a nice morning of work. And then, you know, one o'clock my time, one thirty my time, I'm going to be recording a podcast about sleep. So I just want to just see like when I wake up in the morning, like what does my sleep look like? Like on my aura ring, my whoop, and then actually wear a garment. I wear three things that are looking at overall sleep cycles just because I'm one of those crazy guys. And uh, I didn't even have to look at my watch. I didn't have to look at my whoop. I didn't have to look at my aura because I knew that it was just a garbage night because I woke up in the middle of the night and actually my wife was up as well. And we ended up talking for like an hour and like 3 a.m. And I was like, oh man, how fitting is this that I am going to get an awful night's sleep before I have Molly on to talk all about <laughs> sleep? It just made total sense. the way. Ay, ay, ay. It is the way, you know, and I was like, well, it'll, it'll, it'll actually serve its purpose as a funny story to start the podcast <laughs> off. Uh, how was your night? Like, that's, that's the real question. Well, number one, uh, I just want to say, you know, we can all relate to everything that you just shared. We've <laughs> all been there. Maybe even someone listening right now has been there. So really, really get that. Um, and where my sleep was at last night was actually uh, in a good place from a place of uh, pendulum of having been traveling for the past few weeks where often notoriously uh, for me and many of my clients that I work with, travel can be this odd black hole of uh, sleep and stats often just kind of, you know, going in another direction. Um, so one of the things that is really, really nice is starting to um, speak for many people of the abilities to then bring our stats back into a place that works even after, you know, following a period of a bit of a downward uh, trek. So uh, my my commitment and hope to you is that out of some of the things we'll speak about today, uh, and you know I'm sure you're well versed on bringing yourself back on track after a night like that, that you'll sleep like a baby tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I just figured probably like three shots of Jack Daniels, like maybe a margarita. <laughs> I'll be good to go, right? It's around 10, That's 10 p.m. That's got to be the stack. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because like that is not that uncommon of a thing that I've heard from people who are just like, oh, well, it really helps me. So, I mean, I just, you know, take a couple shots right before I go to bed. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like that old adage. I'm sure you've heard it probably too, of like drinking a glass of wine before bed. And people are like, oh, it makes me sleep so great. And then and, like yeah. people end up buying like these, you know, monitors, these health tech monitors and find, uh oh, it's maybe not as good as what I thought it would be. Like I can have yes. good onset of sleep, but then sleep architecture is like garbage. So spoiler alert for anyone that's listening and maybe doesn't have um, any wearable data for their sleep right now. I would say that 
often one of the most common things I see that just makes such a marked difference uh, for people with their sleep and their um, heart rate averages, their heart rate variability averages, their body temperature averages, their respiratory averages um, is often alcohol. It's just mm. the very common one that I can unequivocally look at. It was one of the funnier times was I had a client in Sweden and I knew that something happened uh, and it turned out she had gone on a um, wine tasting like tour. And so she's across, you know, the globe. And I can see just based on her stats, uh, really immediately that something really obliterated her sleep. Uh, and we got to the source of the why, but it is a really exciting time. I think for this conversation of data and objective, um, information to get it more of a sense of what's at the source of the things that might not be, you know, serving us in the world of our sleep. Yeah, well, it's all this conventional knowledge, or what we've held as conventional knowledge that we're finding out maybe isn't the best information or the best news. And, you know, we're able to quantify everything nowadays, right? I mean, it's one of the things that we do here at Hanu Health. And one of the things that we're passionate about is the ability to be an N of one, the ability to self quantify. And so, you know, again, I, I would say that too, like we have to remember kind of how individual uh, our response can be to certain things and that what may work for one person may not work for the other. And that conventional wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge for one person may not be conventional wisdom or knowledge that can be effective or helpful for the other. So it's just it's it's a great time, like you mentioned, uh, just our accessibility to really high quality data and information that can then inform our behavior. And again, that's the key, right? Like self awareness without like regulating behavior or doing something about it, like is basically useless. It's just information. It's just an encyclopedia of data that doesn't really kind of matriculate into anything else. So you know, before we get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> which I know we could. I mean, I, I've, we definitely could between man, I, the two of us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we can have so many yeah. tangents, exciting tangents. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I mean, I feel like it would uh, only make sense for me to introduce you and for you to introduce yourself. <laughs> but let me just say, like, when I think of sleep and I think about the masterminds of sleep, I mean, it's people like Matthew Walker, and then it's people also like Molly McLaughlin. And so, Molly, I have been so excited to have you on here because sleep is one of the, my favorite things to talk about, and I am by no means a sleep expert like you are, like I'm fascinated with it. I feel like I know probably more than the average person does on sleep and sleep you know, behavior. Um, however, I love having just experts like you on here to talk about it because this is one of the primary pillars of health. And if it's not for the people that are listening, it should be like it must be in order to thrive and to and to really optimize yourself. So Molly, would you mind giving us a little bit about your background, kind of what you do, where you got started? And I would love to hear kind of your story of like, what got you interested in, in sleep? Yes, actually, I think my story um, really provides some context for uh, everything we'll be speaking at today, because uh, really where I began was doing all the things not to do for your sleep in a lot of ways. <laughs> For many, many years, uh, had a lot of labels about myself and my sleep. I had, a, you know, labels. I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. Um, I'm a bad sleeper. Uh, it's in my genes. You know, all these kind of labels and narratives uh, coming from this you know, perspective that it's really a fixed state. Uh, and that was how I related to my sleep for a long time. And really, you know, there's nothing to look at there because that is the way it is. And there's, you know, moving on. There's nothing else to say. 
And it wasn't until I went into my own period of insomnia while traveling internationally. I'd been a serial entrepreneur in living in the middle of Manhattan, burning the candle at both ends, stressed to the max, uh, and you know, knowing myself as someone prone to stress, prone to anxiety, uh, but also not correlating how those symptoms really uh, were had this uptick while uh, getting more and more extreme with my uh, habits around my sleep. So uh, leading up to that period of insomnia, I was going to bed, you know, the sun is rising and I'm going to bed and I'm justified and rationalizing. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I make my own hours, so I'll just sleep in later and, you know, just keep making like swimming in this pool that this is okay. Um, and it wasn't until that insomnia really, you know, no pun intended was a bit of a wake up call, right? How I was managing myself and my life just was not working. And, uh, it really, you know, I can kind of laugh about it now, what have you, but at the time it really served as one of my low points in my life. Um, and often that's one of the things I think is really exciting and interesting around putting this, um, attention onto our sleep because often, you know, barring if we're talking about certain sleep disorders and, um, you know, anatomical issues that we're dealing with around sleep or what have you for, there are a lot of cases where many of the things are, that aren't working with our sleep can harken back to some of the ways that we're managing our life. Something in our life is really not working or the um, structures in place are not there. So that was certainly what happened to me. Just stress went to the max and at my lowest point or one of my lowest points, I was in Croatia, um, went to the doctors with Google Translate, you know, to say, oh, help, I can't sleep, you know, what do I do? And left with a prescription of, you know, their version of Ambien. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that moment, it was, okay, I really, I need to get this figured out. Um, and so I went kind of down the rabbit hole, um, tried a ton of different things, reached out to a bunch of different experts in the, in the field. Um, and really it ended up changing my entire life. So on the other side of that now, you know, we've worked with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people on transforming their own sleep. Um, we now are in uh, luxury hotels like uh, Casa Tribriani in Manhattan. Uh, we work with a lot of high performance individuals, particularly a lot of poker players, uh, UFC, people that are really looking to take this area of their sleep and whether you know, might not be as extreme as what I was sharing, or they might have other things that they're dealing with with their sleep. Um, but then often it might even just be that they're sleeping okay, and then they want to take it to the next level. Uh, so wherever you might be in listening to this, my aim is that we can really stand in this conversation of sleep being a skill uh, in our modern society, because we have deviated so greatly from how it was uh, from evolutionary perspective. And so a lot of what we're doing is kind of just bringing things back uh, to back to the basics, even in the mm -hmm. midst of, you know, the tech and paradoxically while layering on often a lot of information about how we are sleeping, uh, our, our real goal is just to make it more automatic, uh, simplified and organic in a particular perspective, but also gamify it and make it fun. Um, so that was a long, a long story as to the background there, but I think it provides that st uh, sense that no matter where you might be in, you know, dealing with your sleep, there's so much that we can bring in to bring ourselves back into the driver's seat with that. 
Well, one of the things you said a lot of things that I really love there, but one of the things that I really honed in on is that you're somebody that not just has like the credibility of saying like I've studied, I've researched and I've worked with, you know, plenty of clientele on this and really helped a lot of people in regards to their sleep. But you're also someone who has a lot of street cred in the sense that like you battled with significant sleep problems that, you know, compounded, you know, throughout time it resulted in insomnia. You know, you kind of tried everything under the sun to kind of make this work. But then you came back to the realization that like, you know, there's all these things that we can do, like, you know, from a pharmacological standpoint that may potentially help. But really, in the end, it's like back to these basics and understanding that sleep is a pillar of health. And it's not separated from other aspects of life, especially in regards to stress, which you mentioned earlier. And it's so often that I'm talking with individuals uh, within my coaching world and research and, you know, consulting world uh, that we talk about the just deleterious and detrimental effects that sleep um, can have on the mind and body, but also too what the mind and body can do to sleep. And so, you know, that bi-directional interconnection relationship that sleep and stress have is like always fascinating to me. Um, and so uh, how long did it take you? I'm just curious to kind of notice that stress was like a major contributor to your sleep problems. Yeah, really. Well, one, you made such great points there. Um, I loved what you spoke to about the bi-directional relationship of our sleep and our um, and our health and our mental health. And, you know, just the, we're challenged to find areas that sleep does not impact, um, whether positive or negative, depending on our results there. So uh, it's really a tremendous and exciting uh, kind of category of health and wellness that I think is only really newly beginning to be tapped into and, you know, getting the attention that it deserves. So completely agree with that. Um, and as far as for me with my journey, it really, uh, the connection and the understanding that I was at the source of my own difficulty with my sleep actually did take some time. At first, I wanted to say, oh, let me find the supplement. Let me find this. Let me find that. Um, you know, there must be, you know, something going on fundamentally with, uh, you know, uh, an issue with my sleep that is separate and unique. Um, and, you know, there were some things for me to certainly improve in my overall wellness and um, practices, but there was a tremendous um you know, portion of that, that had just so much to do with stress management, the very unsexy, uh, <laughs> area of life of, um, you know, taking stock of how are we responding from a, you know, autonomic nervous system perspective to all the stimuli of the day and, uh, getting a sense of, are we trending into a particular area or particular way of responding. Um, and so for me, it did take me, uh, it took months and months to kind of get that back on track. I'd actually, we flew back from while we were traveling through, uh, flew back to the United States, um, to, you know, meet with different people to go through all the different processes to get my sleep, um, back on track. And it was at the time it felt very scary because it was, I was at the sense of, am I going to need to take a sleeping pill to go to sleep for the rest of my life? Is this what it's looking like? And, uh, so for me, it felt like the stakes were particularly high. Uh, so I was very motivated to, uh, you know, get at the source of that. But at the very same time, too, I got to see what life looks like with very little sleep and the ability to fulfill on things that are important to you, uh, the ability to maintain, um, you know, kind of a, a strong, um, you know, 
cognitive awareness of your own responses to, you know, certain just basic things throughout the course of your day, just everything sort of flared up. So, uh, I got to see what that looks like. And now on the other side of it, it's just such a blessing. Now I often say I'm addicted to feeling good uh-huh. at this point in my life where, uh, I'm willing to do all the things that I've uh, discovered and now work with clients to do. Um, and then, and then some, and always looking to improve. And, you know, I, I've, uh, loved learning from you in the area of, um, HRV and beyond, uh, to further, further up level and bring that to clients and learn from each other of different, um, aspects that we can bring into our own daily practices. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. You know, I, I, I think it might even serve us well just to kind of even take a step back. Uh, because, you know, I, I love one of the concepts that you referred to, and this also too, shameless plug, um, is the title of your podcast is that sleep is a skill. And I think that that's an interesting concept and framework because people might not think of it that way. They just think that, oh, it's just kind of this, you know, natural organic process that happens. And it does in one sense, but in another way, it doesn't, especially when sleep has become really dysregulated. And, you know, my conceptual framework for this is that, and and I love that you mentioned earlier, uh, how we're really kind of just going back to the basics of how we've evolved. And like when I, you know, I have two young boys and uh, I love my two boys um, and they, uh, and I just want to throw that in there just to say, I love them uh, because they'll be listening to this in the car. (laughs) And and what's been really funny to watch, um, especially like when we had our first, Regan, who's now three, is like when he was born as a baby, he was just like sleeping all the time and it looks so natural. And even now, even as a three-year-old, it's so, everything looks so natural in regards to sleep. He doesn't really have any sleep problems. I know this is not a one-size-fits-all. There are children who have sleep difficulties and sleep problems for an array of different reasons and, and because of these confounding variables. But like, he doesn't have to really think much about it. Um, he it, it, Right now, it just kind of naturally happens and he goes to sleep. But again, too, my wife and I are responsible for kind of setting the environment and kind of making sure some other things are kind of like there and, and, and really optimize his chances for good sleep. Um, but for the most part, he just, he just sleeps. Like, what is it that causes sleep to be so disrupted? Is it stress that comes with, you know, being an adult? Is it kind of like these patterns that we go through as adolescents, as, you know, college? kids or whatever it may be like what causes this disruption and then are we trying to kind of get back to that childhood sleep that we used to have or is that like an unrealistic expectation yeah such a great um you know kind of context to come from and observing your kids and seeing how just the natural act of this and even the concept of sleep being a skill i also get the irony of that um you know i get the fact that if we were to go back thousands and thousands of years uh and try to make this argument uh to you know our hunter gatherer ancestors or what have you um it likely might have landed very differently at that <laughs> point because it um you know there's a very different set of, um, you know, variables at the time. And yet where we're at now, part of where, part of where I see part of the problem of what we're dealing with and a lot of what I'm dealing with, with clients of, um, 
kind of bringing us back to basis, the why of this um, actually goes back to a uh, stat out of the World Health Organization that back in 2016, uh, the, you know, they'd gone through a series of kind of looking at the behaviors of um, uh, individuals in the West and seeing how they're spending the majority of their days. And they found that the average person was spending over 90% of their days inside. And mm-hmm. now that was back in, you know, 2016 before a lockdown, <laughs> Uh, before even more of a press to uh, remote work and a number of changes that have happened since then. So we could, um, you know, speculate that it might even be at a higher percentage now. So the reason I mention that is that, um, when you look at that, what the average person is experiencing throughout the course of their day is something akin to like a zoo animal and being inside and devoid of a lot of these cues that we can get into, um, you know, known as zeitgeibers that are, it's Latin for time givers that really inform our body of the time it is and what to do when. So this, um, this is kind of coming from the realm of chronobiology, which is really, you know, the science of time and how that affects our biology. And so from that place, we get to understand that there's so many things that are just, you know, kind of locked and loaded into the, um, you know, daily rotation of being outside in nature, exposed to the elements that we are now cut off from and devoid of in a lot of ways by being being inside, being um, under faux lighting, um, also the ambient temperature that, you know, could very well be set an entire consistent set point throughout the entire day that would have never happened in nature. Um, Different air quality considerations inside. Uh, So, you know, and then certainly what are we doing throughout the course of the day? Many of us are sedentary, uh, you know, behind computers and what have you. Uh, and so all of these things send very different signals to the body of what it's meant to be doing and when, and we can get into some of those other things, um, as it relates to things like what happens as a a spillover and fallout when we're not functioning on those, um, with those cues of nature, which had previously would have been perfectly aligned with that conversation around circadian rhythm. And so having a 24 hour rhythm, um, as you know, human beings, diurnal creatures meant to be active during the day and at rest at night, if there is that, um, you know, missing of those, uh, cues like the sunrise, the sunset, the changing of the temperature and the environment, uh, and then just even a cutting off of optionality in the past when the sun would set and it becomes totally dark. We would often, we would imagine have difficulty going out and hunting in total darkness, uh, no refrigerators, no pantries. So that even limited further the times you would eat. So we lean into something called circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting for people, uh, often to really start to, if, if nothing else, they're starting to really look at even the timing of their food and how that can inform the body, you know, so it's just a really exciting area and I'm happy to go through some of the, uh, you know, key and top down ones that that further, you know, uh, inform ourselves of what time it is and, and what to be doing when, and all of this really helps, even though I know this is a lot of like terminology and, uh, what have you, that it's actually in the long run, once we start getting connected to this can further simplify our days, inform us of what to be doing when, and then make all of this really simple and automatic so that we get to back to, you know, your, your son and just the automaticity of his ability to kind of fall asleep, uh, 
um, at will that we get to do the same thing on a regular and consistent basis. Yeah, you know, it's great because I, I, I agree with everything that you just mentioned. I mean, with my son, too, I think about it with both of them, but especially my three-year-old because he's a little bit older, so he's just a little bit more easy to kind of manage and watch what he's doing, whereas the other one's just kind of going nuts all the time. Oh, poor Micah. <laughs> uh, but but Regan, like, we get him up. He uh, goes outside. One of the first things he does is he goes outside and he gets sunlight. Um, he's mm. very active and plays outside, like, all the time. Um, and so all of these things, like you said, are kind of like these these ways, these timestamps that and, and these ways of kind of kickstarting the circadian rhythm that people don't think about. And like, listen, I love kind of like all of these modern advancements in technology that have allowed for air conditioning and lighting inside and, you know, my refrigerator. And so it's not to kind of like push back on all of those things. And, and I know you aren't. But what it's to say is, though, is that sometimes that goes to the detriment of us removing ourselves from the other things that are really good for us, like getting out and getting sunlight, um, especially early morning in, in the eye, uh, doing things like forward movement generation in the morning. So walking, you know, uh, kind of enjoying a bit of fresh air in nature. And all of these things are things that, you know, are, are things that we can easily build into our schedule. Really, anyone could build these things into our schedule. Uh, but a lot of times it just takes kind of the proper uh, education, number one, kind of knowledge of what to do and when to do it, and then kind of just action and motivation to move forward and kind of help reset that. So you did mention how kind of there are these like low hanging fruit. Um, I know you utilized a lot of great complex terms and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But you said kind of what it comes back to is like the basics, like these simple things that we can, uh, we can do um, to really help um, offset kind of the the detriment of, you know, being inside all day and not moving and, you know, being exposed to all this artificial light. And, you know, I would argue too, like having the face in the phone or the face in the computer all day long. Mm -hmm. And even when people go outside, they got their face in their phone and their face on their tablet and like all day long. So what's, you can tell me where you would like to start here, Molly, but like, what are some of the lowest hanging fruit to make sure that we are optimizing our chances for really good sleep? I'm even just starting from the, the moment that we wake up. Oh, absolutely. So number one, uh, I do think if you one of the things to get the most success out of venturing into this arena of sleep optimization, um, one, I think it is important to stand in that context that this is a skill. So being willing to kind of have a, you know, a whiteboard, a blank canvas of our, uh, understanding of what we think we know about sleep and kind of wiping it clean and beginning, um, you know, at sleep 101 and really just starting to come at it from a beginner's mindset, because there might be certain, uh, things things that we do that uh, could actually be negatively impacting us around our sleep and we might just not be aware of it. So yeah, it comes back being, to the nightcap thing, right? right? Yes, exactly. Right. We write there are many, many people that might actually very much think that those things are um, serving them. And, you know, there's certain supplements that people are taking that might actually be hindering their sleep or, you know, different um, behaviors they're engaging in. So absolutely. So starting at the beginning um, of just really getting excited and curious around the fact that this is something we do a third of our day for, you know, uh, for the rest of our life, presumably. And what happens here? What helps, uh, you know, this process, what can hinder it? And so standing in that curiosity and then, uh, really getting grounding in the why that you want to take this on being, you know, honest to yourself around what is working, what's not working. And there might be a lot of gray area. And so I do suggest that people, um, begin tracking in whatever way that makes sense for you. 
so even on the lowest tech side of things, so say if this was back in like, I don't know, the 80s or something, um, and you're going into uh, speak with your doctor about your difficulty with, with your sleep. And some of the recommendations um, had often been to start a sleep diary. So at the very least, you could begin that and just starting to get some numbers and somewhat objective data around what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but would you do like sleep onset, like what time you go to bed, what time you wake up, what type of things would you would you like to diary exactly. there? So you would be going, what time, um, what time did you go into bed? What time, uh, did you do have a sense that you likely fell asleep? And this is where it gets to the gray area. This is why wearables I think can really serve us. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so you have that uh, guesstimation of when you actually did fall asleep. Did it feel difficult? You can even log a little bit of your subjective experience too. Um, and then you get into how many wake-ups did you have throughout the course of the night? How long did it take you to then fall back asleep after those wake-ups? Uh, what were some of the you know kind of narratives that you engaged in? So it's kind of this blend of objective and subjective uh, mm-hmm. information. And then uh, and then when you wake up the next morning, then a sense of what would you say? How rested do you feel? Um, so it's more of that kind of logging and then reflecting on kind of what worked, what didn't work, so that you can you know take that information into your next uh, night. And, yeah. and then you do that for you know even if you do a bit of a sleep audit for yourself give that a month or so, you can have some really interesting uh, trends start to emerge and start to say, oh, wow, I didn't realize I'm always, you know, talking to the my partner about the bills or the kids leading up to bed. And that's, you know, during the weekday and that's causing difficulty or what have you. Things just can often get illuminated when you start, you know, putting attention um, and focus into that area. Yeah, it's a great way of increasing your overall level of self-awareness. Um, and that's key, right? I mean, we want to have a level of self-awareness so that we can then self-regulate based on that information. And sometimes I think we just like become almost like zombies, um, both because we haven't slept well, but also too, because we're just kind of like, oh, whatever happens, happens. But it's really good to, like you said, to pick up on those trends that we may be missing because we may not really think about them because, you know, maybe, maybe it's just something that doesn't register until we write it down. So I like that idea. Yes, absolutely. And what I would say more so, so with, with sleep as a skill, every client that we're working with, uh, now is, is always wearing a sleep tracker. Of course, it's mm-hmm. not to knock the sleep diaries. It can be really eye opening, and certain people are just not in the conversation electronics, um, or gadgets or what have you. So that is an option for them. Don't want to leave anyone out. Um, but I will certainly say that I think that it can be very exciting and eye-opening of some of the information that can come out. Um, if you're a person that feels that you can uh, delve into this world of data and information. I know you and I are both nerds on it, but 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 I feel like for most people, it's extremely exciting. And for me, it's super motivating because it comes back, you used the word gamify earlier and like with like aura is like kind of like my go-to sleep um, uh, biometric or wearable. And like for me, it's like, I you know, they give you that readiness score in the morning that like big bright blue score hopefully hopefully it's not red um and and that like is a gamification for me but you know i like to delve deeper into the data because sometimes i'm like i don't really necessarily agree with everything in the readiness score i like to look at sleep architecture heart rate heart rate variability um onset of sleep those things but yeah it's if, if people do not have like a wearable for sleep like aura is my go-to and i just absolutely love kind of the motivation it gives me and it sounds like you were saying that aura is your favorite as well or do you have any other ones that you really like too 
Yes. So every single client right now, as of, you know, 2021, they're all wearing the aura ring at the very least. I do have a lot of biohacker esque um, individuals that might then have, you know, four or five different other trackers that they're <laughs> tracking with. Yeah. So they might have BioStrap, they might have Whoop, uh, they might have the, you know, for a period of dream headband or the Muse. Um, you know, there's lots of different things that they might be playing with. So, uh, it, there's absolutely lots of different places you can stand with all these different wearables, but I would absolutely highly suggest starting with the Aura Ring. Um, you know, no financial affiliation or anything, but it can mm -hmm. be a great place to begin. Um, and from that place, then one of the things that we have clients do is really sit and get mindful about creating a what we call our circadian crafted day, where they have you know, a, basically a blank sheet where we're going through of getting really, um, thoughtful about our days. And if we were to design our, uh, you know, a life of our dreams, if you will, and our days are a aspect of the, of the life that we live. So what would that look like? What time could you consistently, and this is a big one, consistently wake up seven days a week, uh, that would inspire you and that you would feel, you know, kind of proud and aligned with, and that's something that you could also fit into your lifestyle that you could, um, commit so that it's not going to say, well, I can do that around four days a week, but then these other three days, it's going to be all over the place. How can we find a happy medium? Because one of the most important things that we'll be speaking about is this through line of consistency. So both on the wake up time and the bedtime, but if you pick nothing else, begin with just your consistent wake up time, which mm -hmm. can, um, often be, confusing for people because they might say, well, all right, but I, I, oh, sorry, I went to bed really late last night. Uh, and ironically, often the uh, suggestion is to still maintain uh, quite closely to that original wake up time. You know, you can have a deviation around mm -hmm. plus or minus 30 minutes or so on either side, but uh, you maintain that and then that can really help strengthen the circadian rhythm because I think it's important to know that our circadian rhythm isn't just, you know, this rhythm that always happens um, you know, without fail, it's, it's either on the weak side of the spectrum or the strong side. So what we're looking to do is help move ourselves over to that stronger side. And examples of this might be like the friend that you go out with that, you know, everyone stays up really late, but they still wake up at around their exact same wake up time, no matter what. We're actually trying to train ourselves to be a bit more like that friend. Uh, so <laughs> So that we have just this inner clock um, and multiple clocks, and that's really what we're talking about is um, that super chiasmatic nucleus that is, uh, you know, located near the eyes, and that's why this light conversation is so important because this acts as our master clock and then communicates to all these peripheral clocks throughout the entire rest of the body. So basically, if you throw that clock off, let's say on the weekends, let's say you're waking up at 6 a.m. every day during the work week, but on the weekends you're waking up at, let's say, 8 o'clock because you're giving yourself the liberty to sleep in, then it provides the brain with a bit of a confusing signal that doesn't allow for as easy of conditioning of a sleep cycle cycle and circadian rhythm throughout the week. Is that right? That's exactly right. And what that's been sort of referred to is something called social jet lag. And I think it could even use a rebranding of just, you know, self-created jet lag. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's not nowadays, especially we saw this during uh, the lockdown, is that often, you know, how this was thought of is that we would often have consistent schedules throughout the work week. And then the weekends would come and then we would hang out with, um, you know, friends or what have you. And then that would be the source point of us skewing on our bedtimes and wake times. Uh, but 
now yeah. we're seeing with more and more remote work and different, you know, out of the box uh, ways of managing our days that it might even just be ourselves, you know, watching Netflix, going down Facebook or, you know, rabbit holes or whatever. And suddenly we're skewing ourselves and uh, skewing those bedtimes, skewing those wake times. And what's resulting is the symptomology of, of jet lag. And yet we didn't get on a plane or go anywhere. And not only is that that jet lag as it relates to the timing of the of the bed of the sleep hours, but then often when we do wake up so much later than our normal schedule, we often are behaving differently. So now we might be eating at different times. Um, you know, we might shift. We might say, oh, I'm dragging. I need to up the caffeine. All of these changes can start to happen. And so in the food perspective, it can be known as metabolic jet lag because now we're confusing the body on some of those key sort of um, uh timing increments that we might normally have trained it to operate within. Uh, now we're pushing things out because important thing about the timing of our meals is that that tells the body, um, a sense of, or gives it a clue of what time it is. And so if it is further out, then there can be a tendency for sleep onset to be pushed a bit further out as well. Hey, Jay here. Hate to interrupt this show, but I have to tell you about our amazing sponsor for today's episode. Yeah, it's Hanu Health. That's H-A-N-U Health, my company. And I've got good news and I've got bad news. So the bad news is, is that I'm going to have to be quite cryptic for a while as to what we're building. But what I can say is that it is in the space of health technology and it's going to be revolutionary. Just think about this show. You have myself, who is an expert in heart rate variability, and Patrick, who is an expert in breath work. And he is one of our primary advisors. Hmm. And what's the good news? Well, even though you have no idea about what the company is offering as a product, we are offering an exclusive VIP waiting list so that you can be the first to know about it. Not only will you reserve your spot in line, you will also gain access to our informative newsletter. We will update you on where we are as a company and provide special incentives and promotions. All you need to do is go to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. That is hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. I promise you will not want to miss out on what is to come. We are building the biohacker's dream, but it will be useful for every human being on this planet. I'm, I'm not even speaking in hyperbole. I'm serious. Every human could benefit from what we are making. So again, head on over to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist to get your spot now, and I will just, you know, leave you with bated breath. I wanted to hone in on one thing real quick. I, I have been told, and I, I want you to tell me kind of what your take is on this, is that, um, well, number one, it's interesting to hear of all the ripple effects of kind of making just even kind of like small modifications to the schedule and how that can affect other behaviors. And I see this in, in and out all the time. The thing that I would have a, a question for you about is like, I have heard a lot, some people say like that the reason that they sleep in later um, on the weekends, let's say, is because they have like, you know, a sleep debt. And so that now they're trying to bank sleep on the weekends to get back. But what you're saying is, is that like, while that's a great idea, that's really just an idea. It doesn't, we don't really see kind of like the ability to bank hours when we're on the weekend, because instead, like you might get that extra bit of sleep that you didn't get throughout the week. But then we see this entire ripple effect of changes in diet changes in other behaviors that can lead to other behaviors <laughs> that can lead to other behaviors. And so, 
on and so forth. Is 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 that kind of a good conceptualization um, to that argument of like sleep banking for sleep debt? Yes. Yeah. And I think um, so. A couple things. One, I do think that the, the sleep debt conversation, I think, um, did a bit of a disservice in the actual application when that came out. And that was quite, you know, popular. And you saw a lot of articles about that those years back. Um, mm. And still you see it in the um in the conversation today because, and it's a very alluring and compelling thing when we have sort of a dysfunctional relationship to our sleep, we say, Oh, well, whatever, I'll just make up for it later. Um, and so that felt like a way to manage our sleep, but it's sort of a failing model in a lot of ways. Um, and I think the sleep banking conversation also can get misconstrued too. And, uh, so recently we just had the um, sleep coach of the U.S. Olympic teams on the podcast and spoke to um, this conversation of what he calls sleep banking. But he made the distinction of uh, more of thinking of this. Uh, and I, th I liked his pointing to it, although I can see how it can get confused. Um, so what he was pointing to is your banking in prep for a big event. And so of mm, course in sports, mm -hmm. like, all right, you're, you know, it's your big moment at the Olympics. You're probably going to be a little nervous or whatever things are going to be, you know, coming up. And so you might not get the best night of sleep or just the logistics of travel or what have you. Um, and then we can apply this into our own lives. If we're not, you know, um, big, you know, athletes, then you have a big presentation or, you know, you're going to be on the move and traveling or what have you, that this concept of sleep banking was one, um, to help put your mind a bit more at ease <laughs> way of thinking of things, of if you are maintaining and making those healthy choices and really managing your sleep as we're looking to be doing on the regular, um, you know, on a regular basis, uh, leading up to that big event for you, that big moment in your life so that when it is likely, and it's quite possible that you'll have that dip in your sleep and those aura ring scores will come down, uh, that, you know, that you leading up to that, you weren't having the extra nightcap, you weren't doing all those other things. So you at least have some of that, um, solid sleep in your background to pull from. Because one cool thing about sleep is that it's not just, uh, the reflection of your sleep last night was not just about last night. It was about the night before the night before that. And there seems to be this really interesting kind of stacking that happens. So like for you and your example of not having the best sleep today, what's likely, um, is that often we'll have a bit of a rebound effect tonight. And right, so, right. At and least I hope so. <laughs> we hope so. And it doesn't always happen, but often the body will pull for that kind of sense of homeostasis. And then it will kind of, the brain will often greedily go to those um, sleep stages that it was a bit deprived of from the night before and prioritize those to, you know, bring about that, um, you know, workability. So, it's, it's something that we want to get connected to that it is a, this layered topic. And I think you're making a really good point because some of those ways, if we think about sleep debt, sleep banking, all of these things can, um, just be a bandaid or a cover up to actually maintaining workable systems, uh, routinely. Yeah, I know. I like that approach of referring to it as a bandaid. Sometimes I kind of almost see it like as an excuse as well. But I know that like if I if I do not um, kind of maintain my schedule, um, both during 
during the week and on the weekend, uh, then like you mentioned, like I noticed the rippling effects. Like I just notice it. Uh, and my day tends not to start nearly as high energy and motivating when I sleep in on the weekends. And I like to try to sometimes give myself the excuse of, oh, poor Jay, you worked all <laughs> week. And I'm just like, yeah, I did. But also, too, I should realize more times than not that me sleeping in and not keeping a consistent schedule could ripple to the effect of having me, you know, have a di- more difficult start to my week when I do start my work week again, like when 5.30 a.m. hits on the on Monday morning and I've been waking up at, you know, 7 or 7.30, which is probably still for most people doesn't sound like that late. Um, th- there's a big difference there and I feel it and I have felt it in the past. So I've been a little bit better about being more consistent with it. So mm-hmm. you, you work with your clientele on kind of a developing that consistent wake up time. Talk to me about like go to bed time, like go to bed routine. What are some other things that you guys are really focusing on to, to make sure that we optimize sleep? Yeah. So uh, I know I alluded to this conversation of um, zeitgeibers or, you know, being Latin for, um, for time givers. And um, uh, one of the things that, or sorry, not Latin. Oh my God. Why am I saying Latin? Uh, German. German. <laughs> Zitterman. <laughs> I'm getting really, I'm getting really uh, esoteric with Latin. So German <laughs> for, for time givers. So one of the top down most important uh, time givers that we can get connected to, and you've already alluded to it, is light. And on the flip side of light is darkness. So one of the things that we have clients really become uh, connoisseurs of is light. And how are they mm-hmm. managing this and ensuring that they have a very strong amplitude of light uh, shifts throughout the course of the day. So uh, a very high output of lux in the eyes during the daytime hours. And then that actually plays into our nighttime routine and the um, the ratio that we're experiencing with the difference of lighting in our environment in the evening. So in the evening, then we're shifting over to uh, dim lighting and then going into total darkness while we're sleeping. Uh, so, you know, there's some really exciting studies that have been done, actually some coming out of uh, NASA, looking at something called dynamic lighting versus static lighting. Um, and of all things, NASA actually was looking at candle light. Um, oh, yeah. Really, I mean, you know, you certainly, I don't think, can have a candle. Evolutionary. Right, right. And, you know, it's it's tricky because, you know, I, I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think you can have candles on a shuttle in in space. But <laughs> Probably uh, not. How they could mimic, uh, you know, this really clear dynamic lighting because the thinking for that is to keep astronauts on um, their own circadian rhythm while shuttling through the atmosphere and at certain, you know, elements that can, the sun can be rising and setting every 90 minutes, um, you know, while they're orbiting. So this this conversation of how to keep us on track becomes really, really important for, for their health um, and the success of these missions. So they, there's really cool studies looking at that dynamic lighting, which is having very much bright light, full spectrum light throughout the course of the day, and then just a total um, dimming down to nearly dark the essence of it being akin to candle lighting, um, often in more of like that single digits lux output in the evening. And so when that happens, there seems to be an uptick in melatonin production that's just happening naturally uh, in the lead up to your night. 
uh, versus if it's static and just the same stuff all day long, you pretty much have the same lights on and it's just, you know, not much of a change. Then we see much more of a flat lining of that melatonin production. So it has a really very real cause and effect versus just something, you know, that we might've heard about. Uh, and you'll often just feel it even subjectively, you know, when we have clients move over to red lighting in the evening or candlelight mm -hmm. in the evening, uh, having a very real difference. The second, uh, most important time giver is temperature timing. And so shifting that temperature in your space, if you do have the connection to, you know, changing your, uh, ambient temperature, you can change that to a higher temperature throughout the course of the day. And then a lower temperature in the evening, not just when you go to bed, but leading up to going to bed, uh, to start signaling this process. Cause if you think about the, uh, evolutionary perspective, when the sun would go down, then there would be a really very quick and dramatic fall of temperature in that moment. And then you would subsequently, uh, having that presence of that cooler temperature in your space would have further informed you of when, you know, soon we're going to be going to sleep essentially. Mm -hmm. So you're creating that in your environment. Uh, and then also with the presence of that very, uh, low lighting, we're looking to move into kind of day mode versus night mode. So day mode, we're looking to have, um, you know, activity, we're moving, exercising, our body temperatures up, the ambient temperatures up, uh, light is, you know, flowing and we've got all kinds of things that we're doing. We're having those difficult conversations, um, you know, any of those stressful things we need to handle or handling, but then going to night mode, we're really downshifting things. So, uh, mm -hmm. we're also looking to where possible, bring in fasting into the conversation, you know, where applicable for you. And at the, the softest side of this is that circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting. So at the bare minimum, looking to, uh, keep your meals largely between sunrise and sunset, um, um, the app uh, Zero has uh, kind of circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting options if you want to kind of play with this and gamify it a bit. Uh, so it kind of helps show you when you're eating outside of the windows of, you know, sunrise and sunset. Uh, so then you're looking to with these steps, you're really aiming to lower that temperature, um, both internally, externally, and, you know, lower the kind of brain activity. So looking, having a bit of an audit of what are you doing in the evening? If you are using say continuous HRV monitors throughout the course of the day, which, um, you know, some people are starting to lean into, mm -hmm. then you can start to notice, are you, um, having more of that parasympathetic response in the evening, or are you doing things that might be having a bit more of a, um, tuning into that sympathetic response. So we're looking to, uh, particularly in the uh, close hours before bed, have pretty much a, a lack of novelty as much as possible. So just routine things, very peaceful, calming, relaxed. Even I, I do have some clients that in the hours leading up, maybe not quite right up to bed, but beforehand, uh, really looking at the type of things that they're taking in. So whether it's even shows like having it be comedies or mm -hmm. light and, you know, familiar versus all this, you know, intricate, ex you know, stressful things, same with the type of content you're taking in. Um, and all of these things, it's cool because it really helps you start to be way more aware of how are you, you know, living your life? How are you choosing to set up that those hours before bed? And are you creating a long kind of runway and a comfortable runway to ease your brain into being able to transition from a wake state to a uh, sleep state? Or are you making it challenging for it? And that's something that we want to really look at. Yeah, you said a lot of great stuff that I want to ask you some follow-up questions about. But before I do that, 
I do want to mention um, kind of the pre-bed routine. I would say it's throughout the day routine, but especially pre-bed. And it's one of the things that I focus on when I get home is that if you have a ramped up nervous system, if your sympathetic nervous system has the gas pedal all the way down to the ground, and that could be because you keep on working all the way up till bed. I mean, you get in a fight with your spouse or a family member, you know, you're watching something on TV that's really shocking the system, like, you know, a horror movie or something where, you know, we're turning the corner to the Halloween season and people are, you know, watching those types of movies before they go to bed, like the nervous system is going to respond in a way that is, I need to either take on and fight the threat that's in front of me or flee the threat. The threat. The problem is, is that when these things are turned on so often, like it doesn't matter what else you're doing. You could be timing your nutrition, right? You could be kind of having the correct lighting. You could be moving and exercising. You could be doing all of these things. But if the nervous system is not listening to you when you're trying to get it under wraps and under control, then that's going to lead to the, again, you being amped up and ramped up and unable to go to bed because cognition and the body are ramped up to fight. I mean, they're ramped up to kind of protect you and self-preserve. And so it's one thing. We'll circle back to that um, because I think it's such an important key uh, contributor. But I just like that you mentioned, you know, the things that we either surround ourselves with or the things that kind of we're taking in um, can really significantly influence um, kind of our nervous system functioning and how we sleep. Yes, absolutely. And what you're speaking to can often be one of these things that uh, when people are first coming in they're they have a problem and you want the solution and often you might want, okay, I want the gadget I can buy, the supplement I can, you know, start taking. And mm-hmm. you know, all of these things might be a part of it, but actually I love your um kind of coined uh verbiage around uh basics before biohacks. <laughs> yes. Which is so brilliant. because uh, I think there's a time and a place for all of these things, but uh really the core and the foundation of it is looking at um looking at our life and looking right. at what is, how are we showing up? What are our experiences uh, throughout the course of our day? How are we responding to the stimuli that we're, you know, presented with or surrounded by? And starting to actually look at this as an opportunity through the lens of sleep optimization, through the feedback and, you know, um, stats that we're getting back, we start to see, oh, this is, could be, I granted I'm biased, but I think it's actually a really fun way of, uh, self-improvement of Mm -hmm. up-leveling the way that we are responding to so many things that might be coming our way and see, oh, what if I, what if I put this in? What if I do, you know, some breath work. What if I create, um, I like Andrew Huberman's, uh, kind of call out of non-sleep deep rest protocols, like Mm -hmm. a a new fancy terminology, uh, really to point to how can we have this, um, you know, go into a bit of this meditative trance like state throughout the course of the day and kind of precondition us so that when we do get to the evening and we might be more flared up that we know, oh yeah, I actually do have a say in modulating um, my response to my nervous system or how, how my nervous system is responding. And I actually am a bit more at the helm than I might've realized. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I really want to circle back to that kind of as we conclude in, in just a little bit, I do want to ask you a couple follow-up questions regarding some of the things that you mentioned 
that tend to be hot topic questions that I get all the time. And I'm just curious your take on them. So let's go back to lighting real quick, um, because we, we know that that's a super important, um, like you said, Zeitgeber. Um, it's a time clock for us. Um, it really helps to set and reset the circadian rhythm and the circadian code that we have. But one thing that I find um, a little bit troubling at times is that within the biohacking community, a lot of these individuals um, are really big on uh, blue blocking light glasses, and they will yes. literally wear them all day long. And mm -hmm. there are some unfortunate, um, very well-known health influencers and, and biohackers out there <laughs> that are proponents of this, um, or at least they like demonstrate it kind of, you know, in their own life, or it looks like they're doing that. And I'm just wondering, what's your take on that? Like, should we be avoiding blue light um, by putting these blue light blocking glasses, whether they're, you know, the, the kind of the clear tinted yellow ones or the red light one or the red orange tinted ones? Like, what's your take on them? When are the times that are appropriate um, or not appropriate or maybe that's never appropriate? So what's your take? Yeah, really good point. So if anyone's unfamiliar with this, there's two very clear camps uh, in this conversation. So one is wearing, um, you know, most almost like a yellow tinted blue blockers during the day, or I actually have seen some people wear even the orange or red during the day. Hmm. Um, and so so doing that, uh, the thinking is that when you're exposed to all of this uh, faux blue lighting and green lighting throughout the course of the day that we wouldn't, this is not aligned with how we would have lived in the past. We would have always had full spectrum light. You wouldn't have been exposed to that much blue light on its own. Uh, so that's some of the logic for that. Um, and then you step up your, uh, light, you know, your blue blockers throughout the course of the day. So into the evening, then you go into the orange or the reds. Uh, and then there's another camp that say, no, you want to have blue light is great in the daytime and particularly in the first half of the day uh, to really wake up the body, send all those signals that we've been speaking about um, and to keep that, uh, you know, master clock sort of regulated. Uh, and so, so those are two of those different um, groups. So what I lean into is more on the group of um, aiming to ensure that we're getting as much of that amplitude as possible. So I am, so blue blockers can be great in the evening, but I don't advocate for people unless they're dealing with some sort of real, you know, light sensitivity. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they're on, uh, you know, very close up to the computer and in some sort of setting where they're, they're dealing with issues, headaches, migraines, um, then that might be another conversation. But for the average person, we're just dealing with really a deficiency in light often throughout the course of the day for most of them. And depending where you are geographically, this is not a uniform conversation. You can't just say like, okay, you, all of us, we got to go outside for whatever, 20 minutes in the morning. It doesn't really work like that because depending on where you are on the globe, if you're in more of um, a northern location, then you're going to the, the strength of that sun um, often from, you know, for many of us post October, uh, into, you know, uh, into, I'm speaking in the, um, you know, more, uh, American centric on this conversation, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you might be dealing with, uh, a deficiency of the amount of the strength of that light that you're exposed to. Uh, so more so what we're looking to do instead is really, uh, go after that high output of light. So I will see some people, um, there are different 
light boxes on the market. Um, mm-hmm. The Spurdy lamp is one that's been FDA cleared to actually produce um, vitamin D out of the lamp. Um, you know, so there's different ways that if you are uh, having issues being able to go outside, bedridden or otherwise, uh, that we can kind of mock this. But most importantly, we're trying to set up our days so that we just are exposed to whatever light is in your environment. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that answered your question. So yeah, it did. I, you know, I, I think just the biggest problem I see, and again, I, I'm an advocate also of utilizing blue light blocking glasses, but less so than I used to be. I used to be one of those ones that like, as soon as I got into work, even if it was 7am, I throw them on. Uh, but what I'm Very much more confusing. of an, it is, I'm much more of an advocate of utilizing. So I, I like my raw, raw optics. Like I have, you know, a couple of pairs that have been sent to me. Um, and I, and I use them more at the nighttime now than anything. Um, and, but we, you know, my wife and I were really smart about dimming our lights, um, in the evenings. Right. And then we'll utilize red light about an hour before we go to bed. Everything will be red in our house. It looks like we're having a <laughs> Halloween party or something. It's yeah. great. Same. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's so incredible how that can be such a an amazing signal for the body and brain that yeah it's time to turn down and go to sleep because once the red light goes on i don't know if it's just a purely conditioned response no i don't think so i think it's physiological but i also think it's just psychologically conditioned like there are two things that happen like when i turn on the red lights and then when i put on mouth tape like i'm gone like see you later i'm going to sleep my body's just conditioned yeah yeah and one thing I do want to clarify too about the whole blue blocking topic um, is I think there can be a false sense of security at certain times where, oh, well, I bought these, whatever, hundred and something dollar glasses. So I throw those on and now I'm I'm good. I'm biohacking and now I'm yeah, immune yeah. to whatever might be in this space. But you also have to uh, really shift the environment. Those are sort of like still go into a bit of that Band-Aid category. That's like if you have to run to, I don't know, Target or something and there's like really bright, uh, intense lights and it's going to mess with you or you're in an airport, those can uh, help, but they're not going to totally offset the fact that we've got um, a mismatch in cues. So you want to do exactly what you're saying, which is shift your environment. And it can take a little bit of work on the front end. Um, yeah, you know, you're sure. going around, you're taking the little, whatever, black tape or s- black stickers or whatever, and you're putting them all over all the glowing things and you're mm-hmm. changing some of your light bulbs. And, uh, you know, some people even put like red, um, uh, kind of masks over even in the refrigerator and all the, you know, you can really all go right. next level to totally make your space sort of, um, you know, that dim, uh, effect in the evening. But once you've done it really once for the most part, then you're pretty much set it and forget it. And yeah. it becomes something where you might not even have to wear too much of those blue blockers. Now they can help if you're where, if you're, I want to watch TV, I want to do this, that, and the other, um, it can kind of mitigate, but it's not gonna, you know, save the day. Right. No, great points. Now, as we, as we get to wrap up, cause I know we have a hard stop here coming in just a few, few minutes, um, here, here at the hour, I wanted to, uh, talk back or circle back, um, to the concept of like stress resiliency, um, in enhancing kind of a parasympathetic response prior to bed, the importance of that. Uh, I'm wondering for you, Molly, What's either your personal practice or what do you guys um, kind of really help teach clientele about kind of like pre-bedroom or bedtime routines in order to amp down the nervous system to prepare for bed? Like what's what's the go-tos there? I know you mentioned breath work, but I'm wondering if you have any like specific strategies or things that you could you could hone in on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one, I think because I tend to, um, you know, attract a lot of the, the data people, um, one, even just beginning to know that there is such a measurable change in our, um, our response to whatever's, whatever we're bringing into our space. Uh, so if they are, uh, many of our clients are wearing continuous HRV trackers. So we might be able to start to see, is there more of that trend in the evening of, uh, going to a stress state? Um, and if so, then we might do a different series of things for them if they are dealing with that. Um, so, you know, to really, uh, kind of calm the nervous system a bit more. That might be more of the, uh, meditation, breath work, you know, mm -hmm. stretching, yoga, nidra, what have you. Um, but then for many of us, we might just be starting to do a bit of that audit and seeing, um, what are the things, and this can, in our modern society can behoove us often of like, what are those things that we actually enjoy that are relaxing, that do bring us in kind of joy and, uh, relaxation and connectedness. Uh, if, you know, if we have other people that we're, uh, with in our evenings. So we're playing with some of those things. So for some clients, it looks like, you know, some nice evening walks, uh, and kind of like calming the nervous system post sunset. And then in the hours leading up, they're more, they're putting away their phones. Some of them have like drawers or lock boxes or what have you that they kind of put those things into to be a bit more focused and less sort of on. Um, mm -hmm. Then other people are, you know, watching some of those more relaxing shows or funny shows, you know, I don't know, The Office or uh, <laughs> yes, various classic. things that they bring in, uh, you know, so that it doesn't necessarily have to be like an unattainable, um, you know, some sort of picture perfect thing. Cause we also want to have a fully functioning life. We don't want to think of ourselves as like fragile and we can't be around, um, certain, you know, basic things in our environment. Um, but then with that conversation, particularly leading up to, uh, the time to go to bed. So more in like the 60 minute or 90 minute range. And if you are dealing with a lot of high stressors and you're in a particularly stressed state, we might even bring in a bit more relaxing things longer. But, um, in those closer hours, that's where we're starting to move into that lack of novelty. So we're starting to kind of turn off some of the electronics, uh, wind down, you know, you're washing your face, you're doing the same thing that you would do with kids to kind kind of cue them like, okay, now it's time for bed, put on the pajamas, all the familiar things. Um, and then we also want to be connected to, are there things in our space or in, from a mindset perspective, uh, that we want to address. So, um, journaling can be a great practice then where you're just out, um, you know, kind of taking out of your mind, all of these stressors or things that might come and bubble and kind of popcorn in your space, uh, in your brain while you're laying there, we want to get that out on paper. So we'll do that. Um, we'll often put, you know, clear things that they, uh, put it in, into their calendar. So if it's something where they're dealing with, Oh shoot, I got to call that person. I got to do this. You can even put it into your calendar so that it becomes real to the brain to kind of close that loop and be at peace. Um, and then things like gratitude practices, uh, and, you know, sort of reflecting on the day, seeing what, you know, what was good out of this day that you, um, you know, you're closing now. And if you do have a partner going through some of those things together can also be a nice sort of bonding, um, you know, routine. So those are some of the things, but I think it's, you know, getting curious on like, what could this look like for you? And there might be variety and you might sort of, um, play with it. But, uh, as much as you can really, uh, keep that time sacred, I think can be important. 
Yeah, I like those options. You know, the the biggest thing for me, and this probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, is is that combination of breath work, heart rate variability training. I just find it to be so yes. incredibly powerful uh, because a lot of times too, like I don't realize until I hook myself up to, you know, let's say, you know, a chest strap and, you know, I utilize an app and, and, and see like, oh goodness, like my, my nervous system's really <laughs> amped up right now. And I'm like, and yes. I check in, I'm like, oh man, I've been going so fast throughout the day. Yes. Like I can feel it. Like it's there. And then I just take that time to send a different signal via my, via my vagus nerve to say, all right, calm down. Like this is a safe, protected environment where I can allow the body to relax. The mountain lion's not about to jump around the corner and get me. Like this yes. is my opportunity, um, to, to just go to sleep and really rest and restore and recover. And uh, I just found so much, so much help from that. And I hope that, uh, you know, l people listening in today will really take that into consideration if they're not already doing that. And then, you know, one other thing that you mentioned, which I think is an incredibly powerful thing just to hone in on, would be this idea of um, kind of incorporating kind of the, the habits and the ritual with um, a significant other, if should you have one or family, should you have, you know, a family that you're living with if you're not living alone. Um, some of the things that we're talking about like at first may sound a little bit odd, right? Like changing your light environment, blue blocking glasses at times, you know, like changing, you know, your lights to red lights, covering up all the other small, like, you know, blue LEDs that are in the house, you know, with, with black tape, you know, doing breath work prior to bed, you know, watching certain things like these things can sound a little bit foreign, you know, to the biohackers that are listening in right now, they're like, no, nah, this is like every day for me. <laughs> uh, but, but for others they could be like, oh man, this could sound a little bit weird. I think if you get the other person, and your household kind of on board with you and you explain to them how this can be helpful with your sleep and you start to see those metrics change on your aura, which can be a great way of conditioning behavior. If you see that what you're doing is actually working, then you're much more likely to keep on doing it. And that's why I love kind of the combination of, again, subjective and objective data. I just think that having someone kind of uh, that you're accountable to and kind of on your side is incredibly important to like, I'm kind of, you know, throwing my wife a little bit under the bus here, but it was, it wasn't until recently that she finally said, okay, like I'm going to start tracking sleep because it, it was that she would, I know, I know she would do everything else. Like every, like all the other weird stuff that I do at night, I put weird in quotes, but nobody can see me doing it right now. You know, that, <laughs> uh, that we've been mentioning here. Uh, she was fully on board for that. Until she was finally like, you know what? I think it would probably be advantageous for me to track sleep, to which I was like, um, yeah, where have you been? Like, welcome <laughs> to 2021. Yes. <laughs> so, and she started doing it. And now she's getting valuable insights on things that she's like, I didn't realize that my deep sleep was so low. I didn't realize that it was taking me so long to fall asleep. Like, I didn't realize all these different things. And so I think it speaks to, again, kind of the need. Um, and I won't say need. I think it's a really just kind of a, a, a a, a, a high, um, I don't know of a good word for it, but it's just, it's great to have that information. It can, it can make us more motivated and in turn more successful to have that information. But, you know, I think all in all kind of net net of this is like, there are the low hanging fruit um, of all the things that you've mentioned, Molly, plus like integrating kind of these wearables um, to help track sleep that can really help to guide our level of self-awareness and trends of sleep. But 
but then also to add to our ability to make changes behaviorally and give us more motivation to make changes behaviorally and maybe, you know, throw out the nightcap that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) So yeah, anything else that you would add that's again, like just like low hanging fruit, like this is like something that you need to make sure you're either monitoring or you're, you're doing prior to bed that like is like a non-negotiable. Yeah. So, uh, more just building on what you just shared, which is brilliant. Um, it's so much about really creating this as a lifestyle. So what we say about sleep as a skill is it's this intersection of technology, accountability, and behavioral change to make that difference with your sleep. So, uh, where we can bring that in or create that is going to often really move the needle and make it more of a longstanding change. So, um, if you get that sleep tracker, you know, sharing the information with your friends or, um, you know, getting, uh, connected to, a way that you can kind of gamify this and stay in the conversation of it. Um, and then really just knowing that so much of this can be in this realm of behavioral change Mm -hmm. and, um, behavioral change is something that, uh, often it can take reinforcement and you're going to fall off course and you're going to have those kind of, you know, poor nights of sleep. We don't want to develop, uh, you know, I, as I've often said that I'm, just sleep has changed my life and I'm obsessed with this topic and I think it's so important, all this, that, and the other, but we are going to, of course, have periods where it's not as great and we're going to have flare ups of just a bit more difficulty with our sleep and to, um, you know, really lean into acceptance, surrender, and, you know, give ourselves a little bit of grace during those periods. And then just taking that information to start almost being our own personal, you know, uh, kind of nanny or something to (laughs) bringing us back on track. Like, all right, I've been getting a little out, you know, a little crazy. So let's bring things back on track. Uh, and it's all about that course correction. So sometimes you will choose to stay up a little bit later or, I don't know, have the drink or, you know, all of those things. Uh, but one, when we know what's likely to happen, like I know if I'm going to eat late, um, have a drink, uh, maybe, you know, the THC is another one that we didn't, um, I I didn't uh, call out previously, but Mm -hmm, that's another mm -hmm. one that sometimes can come out in our sleep stats, all of these different things. I, I'm likely to know at this point what the results are going to be. So then I can take an informed choice and, you know, decide, all right, you know what, I'm going to be okay with those consequences or say, no, I actually really, um, I'm going to abstain from that choice and then, uh, benefit from feeling better the next day. Uh, so all of this gets to help us with that prospect of, um, really making lasting behavioral change and, uh, that often it takes time and, uh, getting back on the horse when we kind of fall off, which we all will at some point. Yeah, no, indeed. I love the concept of just like allowing space for grace for ourselves. And then also to like live a life that, you know, is going to be sustainable and that yes. and sometimes sustainability, uh, you know, means the, that you allow yourself, you know, that drink, it'll, you allow yourself that, you know, piece of cake on someone's birthday late at night or, you know, staying up until 1am at a bachelor party. I just say that because uh, that last weekend, that's what I did. I actually threw a bachelor <laughs> party for a friend and I stayed up late and I paid for it, but I still woke up. Um, at my normal time, uh, which was, well, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, one thing I thought I, I love actually just put in my newsletter this past week was, um, we had an anthropologist on the podcast and he spoke to, he called it your social capital. And so you, the thinking is that from an anthropological perspective, you know, being a part of uh, a tribe,
tribe and a sense that we belong uh, and that we're bonding with others is so important to our overall sense of well-being that sometimes we might make that investment in our social capital and what's likely to take a hit is this, uh, you know, our sleep capital. But mm-hmm. even when that is the time we, you know, we're choosing that knowingly and then we're going to um, prioritize bringing our sleep back up around after that fact. Uh, so just, you know, having that balance. But if we start to always be choosing social capital night after night, obviously, uh, that might not be sustainable. So right. it's all about that kind of dance. Right. Oh, man, beautiful points. I hate to have to wrap us up here, but I know we have a hard stop. I'm gonna have to bring you on for another podcast because we didn't I wanted to talk like supplements and biohacks and all these other things that are fun and sexy. So so many things. So I'll have to get you back on here soon. Yes, I would love that. Absolutely. Um, And I think I hope that we're leaving people with this sense that it might be a bit more um, in depth than we might have imagined for Mm -hmm. sleep or even Mm -hmm. if, you know, you're in the sense you're in the conversation. Yeah, I know. I've read all these different books on sleep or whatever. No matter where you're at, I think that there's things that might be um, in our blind spot that we start bringing into our practices. And then, oh, my goodness, this makes this huge difference with my results. You know, so staying curious, I think, is an important and exciting thing for this topic of sleep. Without a doubt. And I know that there are going to be so many individuals that listen to this podcast who are going to want to take the deep dive. And they are going to want to have kind of someone there to both educate and coach them along. So, Molly, how do they find you? How do they find, you know, your your practice, your services, your podcast? Give us us all that information. We'll make sure we throw it in the show link. So tell us about how we can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, going to sleepisaskill.com is going to really act as a bucket for all the things. So there you can take a sleep assessment and get, um, you know, kind of tailored information back about what you're dealing with, with your sleep. Um, And if you are, uh, if if you're also then wanting to stay in this conversation of sleep, we have a weekly sleep newsletter that we've been doing every Monday for, uh, I think 160, like six Mondays or something Whoa, of that nature. Nice. Yeah. It's been really, really, um, an exciting area cause it's another place that we can kind of keep this community kind of growing. And now it's, it's wild. When I think back to how this all began of me just being a nutcase with my sleep, uh, that, you know, to now on the other side of this have, you know, we have sponsors for the newsletter, uh, now new sponsors for the podcast. And within, um, the sleep is a skill podcast, we have weekly episodes that we also put into that weekly newsletter. Uh, and then beyond that, if you are really struggling, we have, um, different things that you can do to get up under your sleep. So we do have 90 day courses that people can go through, um, on a one-on-one perspective. And then we're also launching, um, a semi-private version of that. So in order to participate in that, as of right now, we have everyone wearing the aura ring, uh, so that it's really much, it brings about that observer effect for, mm-hmm. uh, making those changes. And if anyone's, uh, unfamiliar with the observer effect, it's really just the sense that as human beings, once we have this idea that we're being sort of observed, we tend to shift our behavior. Um, and even if it's just, you're observing yourself and that's kind of what we've been talking about with wearables. Uh, but certainly if you then start to have partnership and other people looking at this information and starting to 
kind of um, make some shifts, then we often see much uh, faster changes in our results. And so we do that as well there. So um, and we're also on all the social media platforms. So lots of different ways to stay connected, um, but would love to have people in the conversation at the very least, just, you know, signing up for that newsletter so we can keep this, uh, you know, topic and uh, area of education around sleep uh, alive. Awesome stuff. Everybody go follow Molly. Like you really need to, if you want to, if you want to get better sleep, I mean, education alone, well, you need to practice some of it, but the education alone (laughs) is motivating enough for you to then make changes. So Molly, it has been an absolute pleasure. I'm dead serious. I'm going to have to get you back on the Hanu health podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for just bringing, bringing down the house when it comes to sleep. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I would love to have more conversations with you. And I know we're going to have you on the Sleep is a Skill podcast, which I cannot be more excited about. So I'm excited lots too. more to come. Yes. Awesome. Indeed. Well, thanks again, Molly. Everybody take care. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And as always, we'll be back next Friday with more great information from top experts like Molly. All right, everybody. Take care and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less.